Praise God. <laughs> powerful, powerful word. Thank you, Elder John. Thank you um, for the, those of you that were in the choir. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it, to hear the whole church family come up there together and sing? It's a beautiful thing. I'm so excited that we get to continue our journey this Sabbath of going on a journey to love Jesus with all of our hearts. Uh, as I begin this morning, though, I would like to have another word of prayer. If we can go ahead and bow our heads together. Precious Father in heaven, we need to hear from you this morning. Lord, it's a waste of time if we walk out of here not having heard your voice. But if this morning we hear you speak, then we know our lives will be transformed. So we invite you to come through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts in a powerful way that we would be drawn closer to Jesus. We want to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Please, fill us with love, fill us with understanding this morning. Speak to our hearts in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. It was back in the days of the slave trade. The auction blocks were set, and as everyone looked out at the different people who were going to be auctioned off as slaves that day, they were sizing them up, considering who would be the strongest and best, who could work the hardest, who could get the most work done for the money. As they looked around and looked at the different slaves who were going to be auctioned, everyone's eyes fell on one particular gentleman. This guy was big. He was strong, and they said, he is the one that we want to bid for. But something funny happened as the auction went forward. This guy began to groan. And he began to, to say something under his breath. He began to say, I won't work for any man. I won't work for any man. And pretty soon it got to the point where he was up. And it was his turn to be bid for. And, and everybody had been waiting for this moment. And so quickly the bid was rising faster. And his voice began to raise louder and louder. Though as he said, I will not work for any man. I will not work for any man. But the bid just kept going higher and higher. I guess they thought that they could make this gentleman work, that they could figure out a way to make sure that he worked. But the bid kept going higher, and he kept getting louder, saying, I will never work for any man. Well, finally, it was down to two bidders, and they were going back and forth, and this was the highest bid that they'd seen until finally the auctioneer said, Sold. The man who had bought him, walked over to him, and as he went to take him from the shackles, he said, I will never work for you, sir. You wasted your money. He didn't say a word to him. He just took him and he put him in the back of his wagon and he drove off. And as they were going into the country, the man continued to say, I'll never work for you. You wasted your money. I'll never work for you. They drove further into the country and further until finally they were outside of the city and no one was around. The gentleman who had bought him came around to the back. He unlocked the back of the wagon and he opened it up and he said, Sir, you wasted your money. I will never work for you. The gentleman just simply went and unlocked the handcuffs, stepped away and said, You're free to go. He said, What do you mean I'm free to go? I bought you to set you free. And at that moment, that slave knelt down and he said, Then I 
will gladly serve you for the rest of my life. You know, when you've been bought to be set free, you're willing to do whatever it takes to follow in the footsteps of the one who bought you, the one who gave you your freedom, the one who set you free. So we've talked last week about Mary and how Mary loved Jesus with all of her heart, with all of her soul, with all of her mind. So much so that she was willing to take that alabaster flask that was full of that perfume that was worth some $20,000 in our money today. And she just takes it and she breaks it over Jesus. She shares her love with Him and just so that He can have a better day. So that He can be delighted. So that He can smell that, that fragrance. As He went through the rest of that week, this was Saturday night before the cross. The cross was on Friday. As He went through that week, He would have continued to smell that fragrance. Because back then they didn't have showers like we have. And they didn't change their clothes. They had one cloak. And so he would have continued to smell the fragrance. Continued to remember that incredible gift of love. So we're trying to figure out why is it, what, what made Mary just fall so in love with Jesus? Why was it that she was willing to give her all? Because I want that. I don't just want to come to church and sit here and say, I'm here because I know I should be. I'm here because I know I want to go to heaven. I'm here because my parents told me to. I want to be here because I love Jesus with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my mind. So this week we want to look again at the story of Mary. Last week we talked about how Lazarus was sitting at the table of that feast. And Lazarus had been raised from the dead when it looked like Jesus had neglected Mary and Martha and hadn't come. God worked good out of a terrible situation and raised Lazarus from the grave. And it was because of Mary recognizing the goodness of God, recognizing the miracles that he had worked, counting her blessings, that she was able to love Jesus so much. That was the first key we learned. I hope you were blessed this week, counting your blessings. Did you notice some more of your blessings this week? I noticed some more of mine, but I don't know about you. Maybe some days you noticed you got a little busy and neglected to get to it. I actually noticed that on, I think it was Wednesday and Thursday, and finally I got to the end of Thursday and thought, oh no, I forgot to record my blessings the last two days. I better, I told everybody else to, I better start recording my blessings. And on Friday, I wrote down the blessings and I realized God had been so good. When I don't take the time to actually think about it, then I miss what God has been doing. Then I don't appreciate His love. I don't care as much about God when I don't recognize His goodness in my life. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Last week we looked at John chapter 12, but this this week we're going to be in Luke, actually Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, we again pick up the story, and last week in Luke chapter, in John chapter 12, we noticed that John talks about Lazarus, and Lazarus being at the table. Well, that's not even mentioned in this story. In fact, the name of Mary isn't even mentioned as we pick up the story in Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Verse 36 says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So here we don't even know that it's Simon's house, but this is Simon. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a what? A sinner. This is the one description 
of Mary here. It doesn't use her name, but it calls her a sinner. She's messed up. She has a past history. I was talking to Terrence yesterday. You know what his, his name used to be something different. They called him Money on the Streets. But that's not his name anymore. He goes by Terrence and he has to reintroduce himself to people when he's on the streets. Mary had a history. She had baggage. She was a sinner. Mary, a sinner, who was this woman who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. She hears, she's this woman with a shady history, a shady past, but she hears about Jesus and so she takes this flask, which was full of this fragrant perfume that would have cost her probably her life savings to have this flask. She takes it in verse 38, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping. So the tables in those days when they sat to have a meal, they would sit with their feet away from the table because like we talked about last week, you walked in sandals and you were barefoot walking on these dusty roads and there was Camels also walking there and donkeys. And so your feet weren't too nice at the end of your long day of walking. It wasn't, didn't smell too good in the room necessarily. So they, they were smart. They put their feet behind them. They reclined at the table and they were there eating. And so it says that she stood at his feet behind him weeping and she began to wash his feet with her tears. She's broken inside. She's filled with anguish. Her heart is filled to the extent that she is crying. She's weeping. And she began to wash his feet with tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. Apparently she didn't plan to be crying that day or she would have brought a towel with her. She kissed his feet. Now a kiss in that day was different from today. It was a, a greeting. It was something uh, that you did to honor somebody. She kissed his feet and anointed him with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and you imagine that it was more than just seeing this, because this fragrant oil which was worth so much, which had been imported from the Himalayan mountains, this fragrant oil would have filled the oil with the the fragrance. Everyone begins to smell something and they look around and there they see this sinner behind Jesus, crying and weeping and making this scene. And so What does the Pharisee do now? When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Doesn't Jesus know? I mean, this lady shouldn't be touching him like that. She has a shady past. She's made some significant mistakes. What is he doing letting her touch him? Doesn't he know what people are going to think? Doesn't he know what's going to be the story around town after this? Well, Jesus notices what Simon is thinking. Verse 40, it says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. Jesus is so kind. At this point, he could have immediately said, Simon, what are you thinking? Why are you saying this? He could have immediately called him out at the point. But instead, he goes into a story. It says, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which is day's wages, and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. 
How much did they have to repay? Nothing. Okay, so the debt is very different here. You have one that owes 500 days wages. But the other one, how much does the other one owe? 50. A tenth, but it it really doesn't matter because both of them owe a debt that they cannot repay. That neither of them have anything to repay this debt. They're both in the same boat. It says, but he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now don't miss this. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you that her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. That's the crucial point that Jesus has to make. To whom little is forgiven, they love little. Now, in this story where two are forgiven a debt, both had a debt that they could not pay. Both had an incredible debt. And yet the one may appreciate it more than the other. Here you have Simon who doesn't appreciate Jesus. Simon who doesn't wash Jesus' feet. Simon who who doesn't give Jesus that kiss of greeting. Simon who doesn't appreciate what Jesus has done for him. And then you have Mary who she fully gets it. Even though she's making a scene, even though she's going all out, she really gets what Jesus has done for her. She really understands the incredible forgiving grace of Jesus. When you get the background of the story, it's really interesting because we find out that Simon is actually the uncle of Mary. Mary Magdalene, we know that she had a shady past because if you look on in in verse 2 of chapter 8, it tells us that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. We don't know exactly what took place in her life, but we know that she was called Mary of Magdalene and she was also called Mary of Bethany. So apparently she changed her name because of her shady past. She had a history. She was known as a sinner. But Simon wasn't so holy himself. In fact, we learn that Simon was actually the one who had led Mary into her sin in the first place. Here this uncle, who should have been watching out for Mary, who should have been the one to support her, somehow he leads her into the very life of sin that has her enslaved. But Simon doesn't recognize that he is really the greater sinner. Because if he's led Mary into the sin, really he has the greater burden. He has the greater sin in his own life. The Pharisees often totally missed the point. And Simon, he, he was on the right track. He had Jesus over. He meant well. He was a disciple of Jesus. One of the few Pharisees who was following Jesus. But he still missed the point of the forgiveness that Jesus wanted to give him. 
He didn't let that cleansing sink in deep. He didn't let it become real for him. In John chapter 8, we find Jesus explaining the problem that Simon has. He explains it to some other Pharisees who had a very similar problem. John chapter 8, our scripture reading for this morning. We're actually going to start in John chapter 8 and verse 32. John chapter 8 and verse 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus tells them, you'll know the truth. And at this point, he hasn't told them yet, but in John 14, he's going to say to them, to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus says, if you know the truth, who is the truth? The truth is Jesus. If you know me, you will be free indeed. The Pharisees respond to this like this in verse 33. They answered him and said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Okay, so have the Israelites been in bondage? A few times. (laughs) They were in bondage when they were in Egypt for 420 years. Pharaoh enslaved them and had them build all kinds of things. They were currently somewhat under the yoke of bondage that they were looking for a Messiah to release them from, the bondage of of the Roman yoke that was on them. So apparently they're talking about something other than physical captivity here. They're talking about a bondage from something spiritual. So when they say, we have never been in bondage to anyone because we are Abraham's descendants, they're saying, look, We have the promise of God. We have the promise of Abraham that his descendants will be as vast as the stars of heaven, as the sand of the seashore. And we know that we're the saved. We know that we're in the right place. We believe in Abraham. We believe in the promise of Abraham. We're his descendants and we're good to go. You know, just to be in church, just to assent to the knowledge about Jesus is not enough to save us. We need a real and living experience in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Just to know that you're related to Abraham wasn't enough for the Pharisees. They thought that that's all they needed. They thought that they just needed to know about the promise of God. But they needed something more than that. When I became a teenager, I really wanted my freedom badly. I wanted to... To, to break loose from all the bonds, all the different rules at school, all the rules that my parents had. And finally, the day came when I thought I had my real freedom. That's when you turn 16 year old, years old, right? You get, at 16, you finally get your driver's license. And with your driver's license, you, you figure, I can finally go anywhere that I want. And my parents can't stop me. Not only can I go anywhere I want, but I can drive anywhere I want as fast as I want. This was great. I finally had my freedom when I got my license and I began to drive. I began driving fast and I began driving wherever I wanted to. Now, every morning, my dad would, before I went off to school, he would say, Son, now make sure that you don't tailgate, that you don't speed, that you drive safely, and that you let us know where you're going. So he'd tell me that, and I'd say, yeah, yeah, Dad, okay, sure thing. And then I'd get in the car. As soon as I was around the corner, I'd put the pedal to the metal and see how fast that Honda Accord could go. <laughs> I remember one time when I, 
actually was going in the mountains a little too fast on the curvy roads, and I melted the hubcaps because the brakes got too hot. And at that time, I didn't know Bruce, and so I didn't have anyone to help me replace my brakes. And my parents were wondering, why is it that the car is falling apart so quickly? I thought that this newfound freedom was great. I could go any direction and do whatever I wanted to do. But then I began getting speeding tickets. I had two in my first year of driving. And then, you know, that whole tailgating thing, I kind of ignored it. And then before you know it, you begin to get in car accidents. And within my first year of driving, when I had two speeding tickets, I had rear-ended, I think it was three people, or maybe it was the other way around, maybe it was three speeding tickets and two uh, accidents. I began to get letters from the DMV saying, you're a terrible driver and we're about to take your license away. And I began to realize what Jesus is going to say here. In John 8, in verse 34, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You see, sin enslaves us. To break the law of God enslaves us. It, it creates all kind of bondage. Jesus didn't give us the law in order to take away our freedom, in order to take away our fun time. My dad, he didn't tell me not to speed and not to tailgate because he didn't want me to have a good day. He told me that so that I could keep my license, so that I could keep our car in good working order. Jesus has given us the law. God has given us the law so that we can have true freedom. And he says, when you break this law, when, when you commit a sin, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Had the Pharisees been in bondage? They certainly had. Tells us in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all been enslaved to sin. We've all experienced the consequences that come from sin. You know how it is in your own life. Whatever it might be, sin at first, it, it tempts you with its, this enticing beauty. And you think this is the way to go and it's going to be a, a great experience. And then it begins to enslave you. That habit begins to build and you can't break loose from it. Whatever the habit might be, it can be something as, as big as uh, stealing or, or pornography or a lustful relationship. Or it can be something as small as overeating or uh, telling little lies or di- any different sin in our life. It starts off tempting us and prompting us to go in the wrong direction. And before long, we find that we're chained and we're shackled and we're filled with guilt. We're, we're in bondage to, to all kinds of guilt, to all kinds of feelings of remorse, and we recognize that the world around us has become a terrible place because of our own choices. I wish that I'd listened to my dad. I wish that I'd realized that he was only trying to protect my freedom. Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. He says, you may be descendants of Abraham. You may have this promise of God about being like the stars of heaven in number and about inheriting this eternal kingdom, but you're slaves to sin. The angels, when they introduced Jesus' birth in Matthew 1 and verse 21, they said, a virgin is going to to be with child. She's going to have a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. 
That's what the very name Jesus means. It means that he came to set us free. He came to release us from our sins. He came to give us freedom from the bondage that sin creates. He wants to set us free. Jesus goes on and he says in verse 35, And a slave does not abide in the house forever. When you have a a slave or a servant, that servant is there only as long as they're useful. Then the, the master can decide to send them off in a different direction. But a son abides forever. Jesus wants to adopt us into his family. He wants us to become sons and daughters of God. Because when you're a son, you abide in the house forever. You experience true freedom. Therefore, if the son makes you free, verse 36 continues, you shall be free indeed. That true freedom comes from knowing and following Jesus with all your heart, from saying, Jesus, I choose you above anything else. This world has all kinds of things that are enticing me, but I choose to follow you because I believe that you want to set me free. I believe that you want to release me from the bondage of sin, from from all the ways that this is leading me down the wrong path. Jesus bought us to set us free. He bought us to take us on a relationship with him that brings all kinds of freedom into our life. Freedom from the guilt. Freedom from the consequences of sin. Freedom from all the ways in which sin enslaves us. Jesus wants to set us free. It's an incredible thing to know that this freedom that Jesus has to offer us. In Romans chapter 2, if you go there, Romans chapter 2, it tells us that it's this very goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's Jesus and his love for us that's displayed so radically on the cross that leads us to repentance. It's, it's Jesus in all the ways that he blesses us as we count our blessings. It's that goodness of God that leads us to the point of repentance. Romans 2 and verse 4, it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. As we take the time to notice God's blessing in our life, just like Mary, she noticed, there's my brother sitting right next to Jesus. He's been raised from the dead. I'm so thankful to Jesus. As we see the goodness of God in our lives, as we count our blessings, it leads us to the point where we say, here is the God of the universe who's chosen to set me free, who's chosen to to give this infinite gift of his only son dying on a cross so that I could have life. I want to follow him. I want to serve him for the rest of my life because he bought me to set me free. And that's when the experience of repentance takes place in our hearts. And that's when that love can be stirred to a deeper level than ever before. Leah and I got married in 2007 In order for that to take place as a young man, uh, a lot of you had to go through this, you have to figure out a way to invite her to accept your marriage proposal. So I thought about our engagement night and I tried to plot how I was going to ask her. I was pretty sure what her answer was going to be, but I still had to figure out some special way to ask her to marry me. Well, I took her up to Fresno Dome. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's near Yosemite and there was a The sun was going to be setting at a certain time, and the moon was going to be rising a little after that. And so I planned, I said, okay, if I go up right at that time, and we'll be up there just as the sun's setting, then I'll have her turn and 
close your eyes or something, and then out of my backpack, I'll pull some Martinelli's apple cider and some uh, glasses, and I'll pour that, and then I'll ask her to marry me. And she can't say no then. (laughs) She could have, but thankfully she didn't. So the moment came, and I asked her to marry me. She said yes, or actually she'll tell you she said, of course, of course. We went down, and we went to my parents' house, and my parents were so excited. They knew I was going to ask her, and they were waiting up for us, even though it was about midnight by that point. And they said, did, did she say yes? And they were so excited. My dad had brought roses for us so that I could give them to her. And it was this incredible celebration. The next morning, I woke up, and we went through our day. Towards the end of the day, Leah said, don't you think it's about time that you got rid of that box in your closet? what box? Well, which box do you mean? She said, well, you know, and she took me into the closet and she pointed out the box. It was in the, it was in the, the bottom corner of my closet. It was an ammunition box, a box that I had stuffed full of some old love letters and a painting or two, some, some different things from an old relationship. It was in the bottom of the closet. It was in the back corner. It, did it really matter for our relationship? I was kind of blind, just like Simon. I didn't really realize that I had something that was between Leah and I, something that was hampering our relationship. And she said, I think it's time for that box to go. So what do you think I said at that point? I think I said, no, I think I want to keep the box. That would be ridiculous. I said, of course, I I don't care about that box. I don't look at it anyway. I got rid of that box because I loved Leah. And I love Jesus. And Jesus has entered into a relationship with me that he often says, hey, you know that box in the back corner of your heart? That little part that you're holding back from me? Don't you think it's time to let that go? And when he says that, I'd be a fool to say no. But yet I have often been a fool. I have often said, wait, 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 wait. That box, I just want to keep it for, you know, odd occasions when I kind of want to go back to it. How foolish to save anything back. How foolish to hold anything back from Jesus who has given his all to set me free. And he only wants me to get rid of that stuff because he wants our relationship to get better. My relationship with Leah only got ten times better as I was willing to give up that box. As I was willing to forget about the past and say my heart is only for you. Today, Jesus is inviting you to a wholehearted surrender. He's inviting me to a wholehearted surrender. You've seen the baptisms this morning. You've seen people saying, I accept the invitation of love that Jesus has given me. I want to go all the way with Jesus. I want to invite you to not only make that commitment at the beginning of your journey, and if you haven't decided to be baptized, then I'd like to invite you to to make that initial commitment But I want to invite you to daily make that commitment. To ask Jesus, hey, is there anything in my heart? Anything that I'm holding back from you? There's a beautiful prayer that the psalmist prays in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I've begun to try to make it a practice to daily take time to pray that prayer. 
Ask God, say, would you search me? Would you reveal any of this cancerous sin that might be in my life that you want to set me free from today? And then not just to rush off and go about my day, but to take the time and listen. And sometimes he reveals stuff that I think, wait, are you sure you're talking about that box? Then I realize, okay, you can have that too. And every time that I let Jesus give me freedom from sin, I find that the freedom is beautiful, that freedom is incredible, and that my love for Jesus only gets brighter and brighter, that I only love him more than I did the day before. So I want to invite you to consider being set free on a daily basis from your sins. Maybe you've already made this a practice, but I want to invite you to daily ask Jesus to search your heart. Say, is there anything in me that I'm holding back? Because I want to be all in for you. I want to have the kind of love that Mary did. That just drove her to give absolutely everything to Jesus. Because she loved Jesus with all of her heart. I want to love you with all my heart. I want to hold nothing back from Jesus. If it's your desire to daily let Jesus search your heart. So I just want to invite you to stand with me as I pray. I invite you to stand and to say, Jesus, I want you to set me free. And maybe you're dealing with some real things in your life. Maybe you have some real habits that have built up over the years. And you're thinking, I don't know that I could ever be free from that. Claim the promise of Jesus. It may not be a moment, an instantaneous victory. But Jesus will set you free. Daily claim his promise that if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. He wants you to be free. He bought you to set you free. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to love you so much more than we do. We don't just want to go through the motions of a Christian relationship. We don't want to have those little things in our life that are separating us from you. But we want to be all in. We want our hearts to be wholly yours. So today, God, we're, we're committing to continue on this journey of learning to love you with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. We're committing as we stand to daily allow you to search our hearts and just to reveal the stuff in our lives that's holding us back from you because we want to have the experience of Mary, the experience of having fully been forgiven. We want to love much because we've been forgiven much. We don't want to sit at the table and not recognize our need of forgiveness, to think that we aren't in bondage. Lord, each and every one of us has sins that we need to be set free from. And so today we stand saying, Jesus, would you set us free? Thank you for paying the price to set us free. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.